Good morning. We have the opportunity to go into Philippians this morning and continue what Pastor Stephen brought up uh, last week. And at first I was a little daunted because it was only three verses, but uh, as you'll see, it, it takes us a lot of places. So be prepared with your Bibles to be going around a lot this morning. Please stand as we read these three verses together. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Lord, as we gather here today, please soften our hearts and open our minds to your holy word. Please use me for your honor and for your glory that I might preach your word boldly, and that not from myself, but through the work of your Holy Spirit, you might use this broken vessel to share your word to others that are broken, that are hurting, that need your life-changing work in their lives today. We thank you and we praise you for all of this together, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Last Sunday, Pastor Stephen gave us an introduction into Philippians. We learned that the gospel changes everything. It truly changes everything. Today, we're going to take a closer look at the people that were changed and how they were changed. What some of the things that displayed who they were in Christ, their character after encountering Christ. If I had to give these verses a title, it would be changed by the gospel of Christ to become partners in that gospel. We will be seeing three things today, and we'll get to them later on in the sermon, but those three things are the Philippians believed the gospel. The Philippians supported the work of the gospel. And the Philippians embodied the gospel. Have you ever thought about what you were known for? I was 18 years old when I joined the Navy. I spent 23 years on submarines. I was known as a Submariner. I retired as a Master Chief. My ancestry is Scottish and Irish. I worked in Alaska as a plants manager and as a project manager at the nation's largest Coast Guard base. I worked as a facility manager for a large native healthcare facility. In several churches, I have served as Sunday school teacher, as worship leader, as deacon, as trustee. While many people might identify me as a Scottish Master Chief, um, or a Samariner, or a manager for a contractor in Alaska, or a teacher, or a leader in the church. I have Parkinson's disease, which could label me in other ways as well. All of these things are merely titles, job descriptions, things that I've done or things that happened to us. They're not our character. While my character might come out in the way that I was doing those jobs while I was doing them, and, and as we consider these things, we, we see that character is who we are. What motivates us to do what we do when no one's looking. 
or when we are under duress, how we respond to stressors when we are challenged beyond what the human body or mind could take alone. Our character is on display by how we do what we do. What does our character say about us? What does it say about our church? Have we considered what we were before we asked Christ to be Lord of our lives? Or maybe you haven't asked Christ to be Lord and submit to him and repent to ask for for forgiveness of your sins. When we acknowledge God that we are sinners and cannot do anything to save ourselves, we receive Christ's free gift of grace. We are freed from sin. We're freed from guilt. This change in status to Christ from condemned sinners to recipients of Christ's free grace affects the character that we have and exhibit now. But is it immediate? No, and yes. Yes, we are immediately forgiven, and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We are changed. But no, we're not fully changed yet. We begin the process of sanctification, which is where the Holy Spirit begins to shape us, to change our character to the image of Christ. This process is never complete till we die and we are with Christ, or when he returns and we are with him in our new bodies. Our sinful fleshly bodies are a constant reminder that we still live in a sin-filled world. But once we accept the gospel of Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit that is molding and shaping us from the inside out. Pastor Stephen went into depth last week of what the gospel is. Today, we get to see what the gospel can do in our lives and in the lives of ordinary people that came together in an ordinary church. But first, let's find out about who made up this church that Paul is talking about. I'll be paraphrasing a large portion of Acts chapter 16, but if you want to turn to Acts chapter 16 and follow along, um, please do. In Acts, we remember Pastor Stephen mentioned last week that Paul and Silas were traveling, and they met Timothy, and Paul asked him to join their missionary journey. But while in Asia, they were forbid by the Holy Spirit to speak the word there. So they traveled on, and the Spirit did not let them go into Bithynia, but that night a vision was revealed to Paul of a man from Macedonia standing there, urging them, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul concluded that God had called them to preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia. So they sailed through many ports and arrived finally at Philippi. Once in Philippi, they stayed several days, and then on the Sabbath day, since there was no synagogue in the town, they went on to the riverside and found women praying. A woman named Lydia Lydia of Thyatira, she was a businesswoman, and she sold purple goods and was there, and God opened her heart to pay attention. She believed and was baptized, 
as well as her whole household. God did the work. But then, that work affected her. Verse 15 tells us, she prevailed upon them to come and stay at their house. Now, the word prevailed is a pretty strong word. We see that Lydia and her household believes the gospel of Christ and were baptized. She was quite forceful in inviting Paul, Silas, and Timothy to stay with her to participate in the ministry of the gospel. Continuing in Acts chapter 16 and verse 16, we see an account of Paul and Silas as they stayed in Philippi. They were going, on, they were going to a place of prayer, and a slave girl with a spirit of divination began crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, and Paul became greatly annoyed and commanded the Spirit to come out of her in the name of Jesus Christ. The Spirit came out that very hour. But because this girl had brought her owner's great gain, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The claim was that these men were Jews and were disturbing the city, that they were advocating customs that were not lawful for Romans to accept or practice. And as we learned last week, this was a Roman colony. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had been beaten with many blows, they threw them into prison, fastened their feet into the stocks. Think about that. What would our response have been? We see that the spirit-possessed slave girl was telling the truth about Paul and Silas, but the owners lied. The owners of the slave girl, they had told a partial truth, but twisted in a lie that Paul and Silas were quote-unquote, disturbing the city, to get back at Paul and Silas because Paul had released the slave girl from the spirit. These charges were very similar to the ones brought against Christ in that he was disturbing the peace. Roman rule was that all people were to fall under Roman rule and have normal order and not create disturbances. It is interesting to see that Paul was annoyed, yet the exorcism of that demon, that spirit, ended up with Paul and Silas getting beaten and locked in stocks and put into prison. But as we will see, this was all part of God's plan, a part of why he led them to Macedonia but let's see what their response was. Let's see the response of Paul and Silas after they got locked up in jail. Verse 25 says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Wow. Is that how we react when we are unjustly judged? To pray and sing following a beating and getting locked up in prison? The gospel of Christ had given Paul and Silas joy in being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Do we let the gospel of Christ affect and change us so that our response 
to persecution causes singing and praying? Paul and Silas were in prison because God wanted them to be there. Let that sink in. We are put through challenges, persecution, trials, because God wants to use us so that he can be glorified when our response is guided by the Holy Spirit and we respond in our new godly character that he gives to us. Paul and Silas were in prison because God wanted him to be there. In verse 25, continuing, it says, the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. The jailer awoke. He's thinking, what's going to happen to me when he finds out all this is going on? The jailer awoke and seeing that the prison doors were opened, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoner had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then the jailer brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the words of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And in that same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. The gospel does change everything. What was produced in this jailer from the gospel? We see God at work in the power of the earthquake that shook the foundations of the jail and opened the doors, loosened the prisoners. We see it immediately produced joy in the jailer and his entire household that they had believed in God. We see the power of God at work in the earth as well as in lives. God opens hearts, God breaks chains, God shakes the earth, and God changes lives. This is incredible because here we have this account of this early church. First, Lydia and her whole household. Now the jailer and his whole household. Now you have the founders of this first church in Philippi a businesswoman and a jailer and their families. As they were leaving prison, they visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, the fellow Christians, they encouraged them and departed. Now, I'll add that um, some people believe that the slave girl was also a part of this early church. But there's nothing in the text Nothing in the Bible that says that she did or did not accept Christ. All it says is that she was freed from the, the spirit, the demon. So this was the beginning people of the church that Paul is speaking to in Philippi. They had been changed. They had heard the gospel of Christ, the good news of what Christ has done for them on the cross at Calvary. 
but not just the cross. The empty tomb. Christ is alive. These families had been filled with joy, with gratitude to Paul and Silas. They had been filled with compassion. The actions that came out of this newfound joy and gratitude were from Lydia housing and feeding Paul, Silas, and Timothy. She was meeting their physical needs. They had been filled with compassion. And the actions from the jailer was tending to the wounds and again feeding Paul and Silas. God was using these changed lives to meet needs for Paul, Silas, and Timothy such that the gospel could continue to be preached by them. While we do not see it expressly written in Acts, we know that these people were sharing the gospel to others and the church in Philippi was growing. But what else do we know about this church? Pastor Stephen and Bobby will be covering more of Philippians as we continue through, but we're going to take a peek ahead. So if you turn over to Philippians chapter 2, and in verse 19, we see that Paul was sending Timothy to them and that they had sent Epaphroditus to Paul as a messenger and as to minister to Paul's needs and that Paul desired to send them back to him. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my needs. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the, in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul was greatly moved by Epaphroditus. And Paul appreciated him as a brother, as a fellow worker, as a fellow soldier for Christ, for spreading the gospel of Christ. Epaphroditus had been a messenger from the church of Philippi and had been ministering to Paul's needs as he was in prison in Rome. Epaphroditus had risked his life near to the point of death. Now, if you turn over to chapter 4, starting in verse 14, we get to see a little bit more. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you, Philippians, know, you, you, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Did you notice that? No other church in Macedonia 
Now, we know of three churches in Macedonia, the Thessalonians, the Bereans, and the Philippians. So the Thessalonians said nothing. The Bereans said nothing. But we see that Philippi had been providing the needs of Paul. From the very first of the gospel preached in Macedonia, which was the church in Philippi, the church had supported the mission work of Paul. But they not only supported Paul. Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter, one, chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And we'll get to see what Paul says about the church in Philippi to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Here we see Paul is basically bragging of what God's grace was doing in the lives of these people in Philippi. When they came to Christ, it wasn't easy street. It wasn't peaches and cream. It was a severe test of affliction. Their faith faith was being tried by fire. They were being afflicted because of their faith in Christ. But what did it produce? It produced an abundance of joy. Paul says that they had been struck by poverty, and not just poverty, extreme poverty. But what was the gospel producing in the lives of these Christians in their extreme poverty? It was producing an overflow in wealth of generosity. Doesn't make sense to us, does it? They not only gave according to their means, but beyond their means. Actually begging earnestly for the favor to take part in the relief of the saints. Here, these saints are the saints in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers. And not only gifts of monetary means, but they gave of themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to Paul and his missionary team. From the very beginning, the Christians at Philippi were radically changed to be literally living their lives sold out to Christ, to do anything to see the gospel of Christ advanced and to support those Christians, those Christ followers that were in need. Are you starting to see the the picture of the church in Philippi? who these people are, their character. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Are we affected by the gospel this way? Where do we see this again? Let's turn over to Romans chapter 15. In Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul gives a very great account of this church in Philippi and others. Romans 15 verse 25. 
At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia, which is Philippi, and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered them to them, what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Paul is telling the other churches here, the church in Rome, of how God is working through this church in Philippi and others and how they are supporting the poor and needy believers in Jerusalem. We are seeing through Paul's other letters and also in Philippians that the people in this church have been greatly changed by the gospel. So let's look back at Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. These three short verses to see how Paul addresses them and what we can learn from these three short verses. Paul starts by giving all his credit to what is happening in Philippi to God. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We've had a chance to look and see what Paul is talking about here through these other passages. He thanks God and is joyful. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel. John Piper brings out the supremacy of God that Paul is showing in this passage. God is doing the work in the church at Philippi. And this is what is being produced this is what is producing the thankful joy in Paul. This thankful joy is produced when he remembers the Philippians and how much a part of the advancement of the gospel this church at Philippi had been. Paul had been extremely blessed through the giving that God had prompted in the believers in Philippi. God is doing the work. They're not working their way. God is doing the work. So what changes does Paul see in the Christians in Philippi? We get to see three major changes in these people that results in Paul's praise to God in thankful joy. First, we see that the Philippians believed the gospel. God had opened their heart, the heart of Lydia to receive the gospel. God had sent an earthquake to convince the jailer to listen to Paul and Silas explain the gospel of Jesus so that he and his entire household might believe. The Philippians truly believed the gospel. Second, we see that the Philippians supported the work of the gospel. From the first day, Lydia prevailed upon them to stay with her. She began supporting the work of the gospel by housing and feeding Paul and his companions immediately. The jailer washed their wounds and fed them in the very same hour. Yet the support did not stop there. The church continued to give. To Paul's support to the poor and needy in Jerusalem, in spite of severe affliction and persecution and extreme poverty that they faced at home. They sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul in Rome. 
The Philippians supported the work of the gospel. Third, we see that Philippian, the Philippian church embodied the gospel. They were partners with Paul in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They showed their love of the gospel through their actions. They weren't just going through the motions. They weren't just playing Christian. They lived the gospel daily through conditions that we may never fully know or understand. They were being afflicted and persecuted. They were living in poverty. How do we know that the gospel has transformed a life? We see a change in their priorities. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They will know we are Christians by our love. Not a squishy, modern, emotional love that we see in today's world. This is love in action. It's an act of the will. This love in action produces this thankful joy that we see Paul have. This type of love produces the unity that Paul will talk about later in Philippians. And this love in action has produced this intense partnership in the work of spreading the gospel of Christ all through the transforming work of the gospel in these men and women. They embodied the gospel. So what does that mean for you and for myself here today? Have you, have I been changed by the transforming work of the gospel? Do we let the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and our lives as we read God's word? Are we regularly in God's word? The Bible helps keep us focused, grounded in God's truths. Do we really, truly believe that Christ died on the cross, was dead three days, rose again, that he conquered sin, he's conquered death, he's conquered hell, all that we do not have to be condemned to eternal hell when we die, but that we get to live, truly live for him starting right now. Do you want Christ to change your heart? Do we want to pray something like, Lord, do that work that you did in the Philippians in my heart? Or do we allow our old self our earthly, sinful nature hold us back and quench the Holy Spirit, causing us to become lukewarm, if not even cold to the things that Christ is calling us to do? If you have accepted Christ, do we live like the Philippians, that proclaiming the gospel is of such importance to us that we are filled with joy when afflicted and persecuted for spreading the gospel the good news of Christ crucified and raised a glorious life? Are we compelled to give generously, not out of wealth, but out of extreme poverty? Are we participating as partners in the gospel? Now you might be thinking, 
This is kind of sounding like a guilt trip. And that's not the intention at all. Because we get to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you want to turn over there, starting in verse 12, we see that these encouragements are not a guilt trip. But as Christians, this should be commonplace. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, in, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We have the opportunity to have the same thankful joy that Paul is thanking the sovereign almighty God for. The same partnership in the gospel. The sufficiency of God should be coming clearer as we consider the magnitude of the gift that we have been given. We are changed by the gospel of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit in us, and it's not of ourselves. Yet we are encouraged to admonish one another, encourage one another, be patient with one another, seek to do good to one another, rejoice, pray, give thanks. Do not quench the Spirit. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, if you have not accepted Christ this morning as your Savior, will you today submit and repent to Christ Jesus to take over and be the Lord and Savior of your life? That he will forgive your sin, will give you the inheritance of being a child of God, co-heirs with Christ, to be saved from eternal separation from God and to live forever and ever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you want to do this and are not sure, please ask somebody that's here today. And if they can't answer it, they'll point you to somebody that can. The gospel does change everything. God is working through us, working in us, through the faith that he has given to us to trust in him. This is not about works that we do. This is how God changes our character. And he changes our character through the gospel of Christ. How the Holy Spirit produces a character that desires to take part, to partner in the gospel, to spread the good news to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Regardless of our conditions in life, can we pray that prayer? Lord, do that work that you did in the Philippians in my heart. Let's pray. Lord, we need you every hour. Lord, you have changed us. 
and forgiven us when we have repented and given our lives to Christ. When we do that, we are already heirs with Christ. Yet we want to be partners in the gospel. Gospel. To be 100% sold out. Sold out to you. Lord, change our character each day to be more and more like yours. So that we will live each day, not in our own strength, not in our own works, not in our own desires, but be truly changed by you led by you to live with character, produced by you to do what you want us to do. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.